What does a pharmacist do? Well, most people might answer that a pharmacist dispenses the medications that my doctor prescribes. Now, I work with a ton of great pharmacists, and one thing that I don't generally see is excitement about pills in a vial. And this is probably because pharmacists have been trained to do so much more. So what can you get excited about in your community? To find out, let's go Beyond the Scripts. Hi, welcome back to Beyond the Scripts. I'm your host, Will Tuft with Pioneer Rx. And today we're going to talk to a pharmacist out in Kansas about a familiar journey that we see with a lot of our pharmacy leaders, where we see these leaders go through pharmacy, independent pharmacy, bench pharmacist ownership, and really kind of identify something that they can do to make a difference in the industry. Uh, so today we have Darren Price joining us. And uh, Darren, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Will. Appreciate it. So um, you're kind of a, uh, a known name up in Kansas, very involved in the pharmacy scene and CPESN. Uh, tell us a little bit about kind of your first uh, pharmacy gig. Where did, where did you start uh, on the bench at? Sure. Yeah. So I am a Kansas pharmacist, but I, I grew up in Oklahoma. So I started as an Oklahoma pharmacist, um, graduated from University of Oklahoma in 2008 and took my first pharmacy job at an independent pharmacy in Enid, Oklahoma. Uh, it was called Sheffy Prescription Shops. Uh, Mr. Walter Sheffy owned, owned that place. Uh, gosh, whenever I first started there, um, Steve Pryor and the Osborne groups had just purchased Sheffy Prescription Shops, but Mr. Sheffy was still there. And I think he was 94 years old, still you know, still in the pharmacy, not really working so much, but uh, he would he would come in there and, and work a little bit. So really, really cool story of a, a really cool independent pharmacy. And man, what a busy place. It was a great place for me to, to cut my teeth in pharmacy. Um, you know, on busy days, they'd fill 1,200 prescriptions or, or something like that. It was a very, very busy um, independent pharmacy. But um, Steve was great. I learned a lot at that job. Um, we started vaccination services, compounding services, you know, kind of caught the pharmacy up to speed um, for for today's world. Um, so I worked there for a couple of years and then um, we got the opportunity to look at some pharmacies in Kansas. So these these two pharmacies were owned by the Graves family, uh, Graves Drugstores. At one point, they had 11 locations in Kansas and Oklahoma, but, you know, for one reason or another, they, they had been whittled down to just two locations left, and these two locations were struggling quite a bit, too. Um, but those were in uh, Winfield, Kansas and Arc City, Kansas. And so um, Willie Osborne called me up one day and said, hey, uh, uh, or Willie and Bill called me up one day and said, hey, would you uh, like to look at a couple of pharmacies in Kansas that we may partner in? And I said, well, sure. And so uh, I, I went up there, looked at them. You know, it was a great fit. I felt like great people, great communities, just kind of what I'm used to, small town America. And so we, uh, I went and looked at them, came back and told Renee. I was like, well, uh, Renee's my wife. She's also a pharmacist. Important buy-in. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very important. <laughs> She's a much better pharmacist than I am. She should be doing this podcast instead of me, actually. But, um, but uh, anyway, I came uh, came back and said, hey, what, what do you think about moving to Kansas? And uh, 
her response wasn't the most positive. I won't tell you exactly what she said, but uh, <laughs> since this is a family podcast, <laughs> but uh, but uh, we uh, we took the leap, you know, and and went and moved to Kansas in two thousand in August of two thousand ten. So exactly eleven years ago, here in about a week, um, and so we we moved to uh, Kansas and and started in those in those stores. Um, and then a couple of years ago, we decided that, you know, we, we just had way too much time on our hands and have anything else to do. <laughs> so we, uh, we decided to uh, purchase the uh, Dam Pharmacy Group. It's D-A-M-M, a uh, gentleman by the name of Gary Dam, a uh, very successful pharmacist in the Wichita area. And um, so we decided to purchase his remaining stores, uh, which were four locations uh, two in Derby, one Rose Hill, and one in Andover, all kind of in the greater Wichita area. So, and so that's where we are today as far as pharmacy. Um, and and then we'll talk a little bit later about our other venture that we've started. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, so um, you're down working in Oklahoma. How did you kind of build that connection with the Osborne Group? Yeah, so I met... Um, <laughs> was funny. So I was involved in leadership at the University of Oklahoma College of Pharmacy. And so um, I was president of my class for four years. And um, one of the invites that you get as president of your class is to the uh, alumni association banquet. And so um, one day, uh, Tony Palmer, I don't know, you know, a lot of people remember him, really, really great guy, um, taught our business class in, in pharmacy school. And he, uh, one of the parts of the alumni dinner was he just would take the microphone around and, and talk to people, you know, and so he he finally made his way to me and put the microphone in front of my face, you know, and I was a scared fourth year pharmacy student, like, <laughs> oh my gosh, what do I say? And so I kind of panicked a little bit and he said, hey, what, you know, do you have anything to say tonight? And the only words that came out of my mouth was, um, I need a job. <laughs> <laughs> And so, uh, and so that's how I met, uh, Bill Osborne. Um, so he, he kind of approached me afterward and said, Hey, we may have an opportunity for you in Enid, uh, because like I said, they had just purchased those stores with Steve and they were looking for some, some new pharmacists to go in there. And, uh, and so, you know, met with Bill a couple of times and decided it would be a great fit. And, uh, you know, I guess the rest is, the rest is history. <laughs> nice. So yeah, I guess the, uh, sometimes the squeaky wheel is, uh, <laughs> sometimes you, you gotta, gotta you, ask, you know? Yeah. You just gotta make yourself stand out a little bit. Um, so, um, back, uh, back in Oklahoma, you kind of mentioned that you were doing some, um, enhanced services, I guess it was a fairly small community, even though it's a really busy store. Yeah, Enid, I think, is around fifty or 60,000 people, so okay. it's not near as small as, you know, Winfield and Arc City are more like 11,000, 12,000 people apiece, so it was a fairly decent-sized town from what I'm used to. You kind of make that shift into Kansas. What uh, what differences did you see? What opportunities did you see? Because uh, those stores were coming from basically a fairly small community. And you said that the previous owners had struggled a bit with uh, keeping, keeping that legacy going. So how did, how did you see that you could do something different in that arena? Sure. Well, one of the things that, uh, that, um, you know, the Osbournes or that Willie always said was, you know, we don't buy 
uh, stores that are doing really well because <laughs> those are going to be really expensive. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we we look for the ones that uh, you know could we, we we think we could go in there and make a difference. And uh, so you know, just by an evaluation, and I, I'd say the evaluation of stores are a lot different today than it was back then, even. Um, but when doing the evaluation, you just look at other things that you could be doing in the community. Um, you know, one of the things, as I, as I mentioned, this was owned by the Grave family. And so it started back in 47. And, um, so, uh, Mr. Graves, you know, owned it for a really long time and then passed off to his, uh, grandchildren eventually, eventually. So, um, the, the owner that was in, in charge of operations was actually the granddaughter of Mr. Graves oh, wow. who started it. And, you know, she did a, she did a great job, wonderful woman, uh, you know, and, and so she did a great job for a long time, but, you know, I think there's some value in being a pharmacist, um, and owning a store. And so she was not a pharmacist. And so, you know, I just, I, I tell people it's like me trying to run a hardware store, you know, like I wouldn't know the first thing about running a hardware store <laughs> because I just haven't grown up in that industry and I don't have experience in that industry. And, um, you know, there's just certain things you learn along the way from being a pharmacist that you, you, you can find that would be successful. So that was one of the things that we thought we could come in and immediately change is, you know, adding some services that we have learned that I got to the, the opportunity to learn at Sheffy's, such as immunization, such as compounding, you know, MTM, all, all the other stuff that we do as pharmacists besides just dispensing medication. So and then yeah. and then that partnership with Osborne Group, you know, has always been a, a wonderful thing. They're they're great people. Um, and, and, you know, they are a partner in 30 different stores or 29 different locations. And so, you know, that added some buying power and, and some things like that uh, to that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I think there's definitely pharmacies out there that are owned by people who aren't a pharmacist, but definitely just moving into that situation is going to give you you know, so, some power with your, your funds as well, just being able to move that around the payroll expense and having that all in one. So definitely a lot of different areas that you could pull in some, some change. Um, what about MedSync? I know Graves has, uh, uh, quite a bit of MedSync at, at that location too, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Winfield is, that's one of our, our babies is MedSync. Um, we, we have a great a great group um, there at Winfield and our, uh, really all of our locations have great people. I think that's a that's a big part of being successful is is surrounding yourself with great with great people. And um, anyway, we we really made a point a few years ago to to build up our MedSync program. And um, so yeah, I think today we have around 850 or 900 people on our MedSync program. And it, it's funny, people always ask, well, what percent of your uh, what percent of your patient population do you have on MedSync? And I don't know that for sure, but I do know that we have 10 percent of the population of our town on MedSync, you know, and so that's how I kind of always uh, <laughs> that's how I kind of always gauge it is what what percentage of our full population or whole town do we have on our MedSync program? So <laughs> so I think that's kind of like indicative of just a lot of your goals. Um, don't just look at your patient base. Uh, don't look at the numbers in your system, but compare that against the census <laughs> and say, okay, you know, where could we be in our community? Um, you know, and, and that sounds lofty, but that's, especially in a small community, that's, you know, 
kind of an obtainable figure that you can you can really consume that number and and look at your footprint in the community and say, okay, how do I move that forward? Absolutely. Yeah. Any any new patient that we take on nowadays, I mean, that's one of the first things that we try to get them to be a part of because we've seen the value in it. You know, we've seen the value of somebody being on MedSync. You know, there's multiple reasons why, and I won't I won't go into all those, but uh, we just believe that it it provides just a more enriched experience for our patients. And so that's part of our welcome process for, for our new patients is to try to get them, encourage them to be not only on MedSync, but do, you know, the med packaging as well. We do a bunch of that. Also, we probably have 200 or 250 patients that we do that for on a, on a monthly basis in that one store. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. We have a lot more throughout our, throughout our group, but, uh, yeah, it's it's a big point of emphasis for for our pharmacies for sure. Yeah, yeah, it always seems like just uh, you know, as far as workflow efficiency, you know, before you even get to adherence metrics and and, and patient care, but you know, you know that patient's coming back every month. You know these prescriptions have refills. Why not sync all those medications together? Have them come at the same time. Get all those medications every month, and then that opens the door to do a lot of other things once you have that appointment-based model. So uh, what opportunities have you found once that patient is coming in on a more rigorous schedule, they're taking their medications, you know, what what opportunities have you found there to take advantage of that face-to-face interaction when they do come in? Absolutely. Well, like I said, there's multiple things. Um, You know, from a pharmacist standpoint, it's just so much easier to see, you know, the clinical uh, picture of a patient if they're all tied together, you know, if they're getting if they're getting different things at multiple times during the month, it's hard to see, you know, what cholesterol medication they're on currently, you know, what blood pressure medication they're on currently at what dose. But if you're if you're tying them all up at the same time, so much easier to catch duplications and, you know, look at cost effectiveness and, you know, just all kinds of things from a pharmacy's perspective. And so I think that is very valuable to the patient um, and to the pharmacy. You mentioned, you know, it saves time for patients. Um, We've really hardly ever lost anybody once they get on the program and, and see how awesome it is very rarely do they ever want to get off the program. It doesn't work for everybody. We do have those patients that it just doesn't work out for. But once they start doing it for several months, you know, it it really is a great thing for both the pharmacy and the patients. And yeah, you mentioned number one time, you know, I mean, it saves so much time um, for the pharmacy. And so we've, that has been, you know, exemplified, I guess, during COVID, you know, because our pharmacies have administered over 17,000 COVID vaccines and there's no way we would have been able to do that without great med sync processes, you know, because we've had to take technicians out of the workflow to administer um, immunizations. We've gone to 50 different businesses to do on-site clinics for them. Um, and so we've had to pull people from the workflow to, to go out and do those. And so without MedSync, there's no way uh, we would be able to do that. And now um, kind of a cool program in Kansas uh, is COVID testing. And so I know there's everybody's doing it nationwide. But in Kansas specifically, our state 
um, is funding the program. And so you can actually get uh, rapid testing and saliva PCR testing done and the state reimburses you for doing those. So no cost to the pharmacy, no cost to the patient. And oh, wow. man, we have seen such an uptick in those. Um, I think in one of our stores in the whole month of July, we did 150. And in the first 10 days of August, we did about 400 COVID tests in just one location. Wow. And so, you know, without okay. MedSync, that doesn't happen. You know, you're in, the, you're in the rat race, the workflow, trying to catch up, trying to catch your tail all the time. And, um, you know, that just that enables you once an opportunity comes along that enables you to jump on that opportunity and, and take full advantage of it. So, yeah, I mean, that's one of those things people don't consider. If you have a patient with just like five medications, you know, they have that first touch point where they call to get the medication refill, then your pharmacy's going through workflow. You have to call that patient to let them know it's ready. And then you have to, uh, actually have that face-to-face -face interaction. If you're doing that for five different medications, you know, that's a hundred touch points <laughs> for that patient. You know, it, it's, it's crazy how quickly it adds up. And so how can you do those, uh, those other, you know, really, really impactful things like uh, point of care testing? Absolutely. Well, and I'll put a plug in for Pioneer. Um, you know, they, uh, their system has been wonderful as far as putting a program in place. You know, we, uh, we've, we've tried, and this isn't, you know, one, one thing doesn't work for everybody. You have to figure out what works for you. Um, you know, if pencil and paper works for you, do pencil and paper. But, you know, um, we've really tried to take advantage of technology and Pioneer has a wonderful sync program and it's enabled us to, you know, create templates to send text messages out to patients instead of having to pick up the phone and call every single month. Um, and it's easy because if they if they have an issue, if they if, if you need to talk to them, you know, they can just respond to that text message and then it's a quick phone call. And, and there you go. So having the right software in place to be able to, you know, match what you're doing as far as MedSync goes is very, very important. So um, you kind of mentioned the point of care testing. I'm curious to see where that kind of goes in the future. You know, like once you normalize something like pharmacists being able to provide point of care testing, it's made sense for a long, long time but it hasn't really been in place. And you could say the same thing about immunizations as well. You know, um, you know, where, where do you see that in 2022, 2023? Do you see more, do you, do you see like, uh, people doing rapid tests for flu, uh, you know, and, and flu season and, uh, you know, yeah, that's kind of been our plan all along, you know, I mean, uh, flu strep, uh, even like UTI type of testing, you know, I, I think that the pharmacy is a place where that makes sense to happen, you know, and, and we've, we've been very involved with CPSN and, you know, if anybody's not a part of CPSN, this is, these are the type of things that we push on a daily basis. And so um, I think it's important to have organizations like CPSN, NCPA that really try to push pharmacy into uh, that direction. But yeah, I mean, even before COVID started, we, we had talked at length about strep testing and flu testing and, and the UTI testing. And, 
you know, people see their pharmacist, what, 30, 35 times a year, whereas they see their physician maybe three times a year. Um, And so it just makes sense for somebody that, you know, thinks they have the flu or thinks they have strep, pull up in our parking lot, let us go perform a quick test and, um, and, and tell them whether they have it or not, and then have a collaborative relationship with a local physician and uh, have them be able to, you know, prescribe for that patient at that point and then, you know, provide some follow up if they don't if they don't get better. So I think there's some great partnerships to be had in, in this space. But I'm, I'm very hopeful that we can take all the data that we are getting from covid testing and compile that and make a very compelling case for pharmacy in the in the testing space. Yeah, I mean really when you look at it, when you look at medication adherence, getting patients to take their medication like they should, removing those barriers to healthcare like having that point of care testing at the pharmacy, you know, that's great for the pharmacy as a business, uh, for the patient for staying healthy, but that also really benefits you know, the, the other parties involved, like insurance companies, you know, it's, that's really what's going to drive down health costs. And, uh, you know, from a business standpoint, if I'm an insurance company, man, that's, that's great news, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, and we've been involved in programs where we're doing like A1Cs and, you know, um, cholesterol uh, screenings and things like that. And just, I mean, just think, take blood pressure, for example, think, think of how cool it would be if, you know, if you had a, a patient on a sync program to where they're coming to get their medication every single month and while they're at the pharmacy, you take a blood pressure or blood sugar, you know, whatever. Um, and, you know, you, you put that data into your system and that data is shareable amongst their primary care provider. And so one, once they go to get their once a year checkup with their physician, now their physician has 12 months of, of blood pressure data to be able to make an informed choice or a, a, an informed, informed decision. Um, and not only do they have that, but they have their adherence uh, scores as well. Because I, I think every pharmacist will tell you, we see it all the time, Decisions are made on one blood pressure reading once a year at the time of office visit without any without any recollection or without any uh, knowledge of, you know, is that patient actually taking their medication? You know, I mean, patients will tell you all day, every day that they're actually taking their stuff. But, you know, how often do they pick it up at the pharmacy? Uh, You know, and I would say, yeah, gosh, less than way less than 10%, maybe less than 5%. Have we ever been called, you know, to, to ask, Hey, is this person actually taking their medication? You know, it just never happens. And so to me that, that makes so much sense, you know, to, to partner with somebody and have those type of readings and tests available. So the physician can make a informed clinical decision. Yeah, because patients are always going to kind of say what the doctor wants to hear. I tell my dentist that I floss every day. Yeah, <laughs> right, <So>. exactly. <laughs> but whenever I go see the hygienist, I floss every day. <laughs> so, you know, as a pharmacist, you you're you're, you're seeing kind of both sides because you're a pharmacist, you're uh, you know a business owner. And so you're performing all of these great services. You're helping to move the needle for 10 per, 10% of your population at least. Um, you know, you're, you're really doing all the right things. And at the same time, you're battling, 
um, with the same problems that every other independent pharmacy is struggling with, with low reimbursements, with, you know, balancing that patient care with what's on the shelves, with reconciling your, you know, third-party payments and DIR fees. So, you know, at what point did you see that, okay, this is non-sustainable unless something changes? Uh, So, you know, what, what really... At what point did you see that something has to give? Yeah, I think it was really the spike in DIR fees that maybe did it for me. Um, you know, I go back and look at, and, and this just makes me nauseous even talking about it, but you go back and you look at like 2015, what your DIR fees were. And of course, we've added more stores since then, but, you know, our DIR fees were less than $10,000 a year in 2015. Um, last year we paid about a million dollars in DIR fees for wow. locations. Yeah. And so, um, that's just unsustainable. Um, you know, and so, and it's sad and that's kind of what prompted, uh, you know, this conversation, I guess, is it's sad for pharmacies that if, if, if you're a pharmacy and you're just dispensing medication, there's no way you can make it zero, zero percent chance of, of staying in business. Um, and, and providing any type of good service to patients. Um, and so every year, you know, our, our strategic meeting for our, and our leadership team and our pharmacies is, you know, we need to focus on everything that, you know, we need to try to do more things that aren't dispensing medication, you know, like vaccines, like COVID testing, like, um, you know, the CPSN partnerships that we've, that we've had, and so that is our main focus instead of, you know, dispensing medication. And, there, and there's something wrong with that, you know. Um, so that's really frustrating. The other first frustrating part to me is, uh, well, there's multiple frustrating parts. But, you know, we pharmacy, and I don't think anybody will argue this, pharmacy is, are the experts on medication, not only from a therapy standpoint, but from a cost standpoint, Right. And we are not we are not utilized whatsoever in trying to save healthcare money, you know. And so I listen all day, every day to employer groups complain and to brokers complain and to whoever complain that the cost of prescription drugs just keeps rising and rising and rising. And it's frustrating to me that I can't do anything about that. You know, pharmacist, as a pharmacist, I have almost no control over that because even if you do switch somebody, so in an NTM, a common thing for a pharmacist to do is to look at spend, right? And, and switch somebody from something that is just as effective, a therapeutic substitution for something that's just as effective that has a higher copay versus a lower copay, right? So that's a common thing to do to save the patient money. But what you may be doing, you may be cutting the legs out from under the employer because they may be getting charged twice as much on the back end for the thing that costs the patient less, if that makes sense, which is is crazy. You so, know, it's crazy to even say that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's that's the craziest thing with prescription care in America is that there's this whole back end that I think is just not really visible to your average consumer, which is why the average consumer sees something like a 
RX good program to uh, avoid naming anybody <laughs> specifically, you know, and, and because it's, <laughs> it's all of this, you know, kind of convoluted, uh, way of, you know, hiding the, the price and, and all of the different values associated with the drug. So if you look at one drug in, uh, in a pharmacy, you know, there's what you paid for it. There's the WAC, the AWP, uh, MAC, uh, NADAC, you know, there, there's so many different values and then so many different formulas that use each value. Um, you know, it's, I, I think clarity is the biggest issue for most most people in healthcare right now. Yeah, absolutely. Tran- transparency should be one of the major things. And, and it is frustrating. You know, the other part that's frustrating is legislatively, we have been beating our heads up against a wall for over a decade now trying to to educate, to, you know, show some of the bad practices that are happening in the pharmacy benefit space. And even though there's been some great wins on the state level recently, and I think NCPA does an outstanding job of, you know, of, of bringing those, of educating and, and bringing those um, issues to light with legislatures, um, legislators, I should say, um, I mean, it's just still very, very frustrating because you're battling a very, very powerful middleman that nobody knows about, you know. And so it's almost it's almost an unsurmountable task, you know. And so that that's kind of what caused us to start looking at other, you know, something else. Yeah. So if you go to a pharmacy and just ask, you know, somebody in the pharmacy, a patient who's uh, walking around the front end, how insurance works, they're probably going to say, I'm here. I have an insurance company over here and the pharmacy is in the middle. I go to the pharmacy, they bill my insurance company and it comes back to me. You know, I pay the insurance company a hundred dollars, uh, whatever. And, and they pay for whatever percent of my medication and everybody wins, but there's a lot more to it than that. So kind of br- briefly go over uh, where a PBM fits into that. And then really, you know, we we concentrate here especially so much on how that relationship affects the pharmacy. But, you know, there's other stakeholders to consider. Sure. Yeah. So every health plan, you know, you want to think of it as a health plan as a whole, so there's a, you know, in the health plan, there's an insurer, right? But they, they are contracted with the pharmacy benefit manager to manage the pharmacy spend, you know, and so the pharmacy contracts directly with the PBM and then the PBM's contracting with the health plan over there. So, you know, they are definitely in the middle, you know, the PBM, they, they regulate what medications are covered, what the patient pays what the health plan is charged and, you know, everything that has to do with the pharmacy spend aspect. So when people say it's my insurance, it's not really your insurance. They, they contract with a separate entity that controls all of the pharmacy spend. And the scary part, as all of us know, is, you know, now most health plans or most insurers also own a PBM. And so they own two pieces of the pie, although they say they're separate, you know, <laughs> and so they own two pieces of the pie, which is which is a scary position to be in. 
And, you know, as a business owner who is trying to provide adequate health care to your patients and, and you know, maintain the, uh, you know, that quality of care for your patients, but also, you know, control spend uh, for your company. So absolutely. Yeah. And what, and what we're seeing in the marketplace right now, Will, is every, every employer that I've talked to, whenever it comes their renewal uh, time, you know, their broker or whoever will come to them and say, okay, well, there's going to be a 10 to 15% increase in your premiums this year because of pharmacy. I mean, almost across the board, that is what we're seeing. And, um, you know, it's, and it's because of the regulations, right? So on the, so on the insurance side, 80% of your premium has to be spent on care, right? There's that, there's Mm -hmm. that rule in place. So the insurance can only profit 20% of whatever you pay in a premium on a yearly basis, but there's no regulation on the PBM side, you know? And so what we're seeing is all of, all of the, the, the medications when you come to the pharmacy and we don't necessarily see it at the pharmacy is also the scary part, but the amount that the PBM charges the health plan is going up dramatically. Right. And so even though copays may be lowered, you know, maybe a zero dollar copay for the patient. So they don't see it. The pharmacy is not being paid any different. So we don't really see it or paying low or getting reimbursed less, reimbursed less actually. Um, but what they're doing on that back end is they're, they're increasing the amount that the, the health plan is being charged, which is called spread pricing. Um, and so then Ultimately, what happens is the premiums get increased on on the health plan side. That's an, that's an excuse for them to to raise premiums. So they're not only making the PBMs not only making more money by charging the health plan more. Now the health plan has to raise premium, and so ultimately they're making more money as well. So the two bought the two people that are hurt most in this scenario are the patient, even though they think they're getting a great deal with a zero dollar copay. And and employer groups, you know, and pharmacies. Um, so it uh, it's a bad how we ever got here. I will not. I don't know. But there's just misaligned incentives running around all over the place. Yeah, I think spread pricing is kind of the the key the key word there, and it, and it's a bit of a shell game. So if if somebody's not familiar with. Uh, Spread pricing. Give me the elevator pitch on how that works. Yeah, elevator pitch is, you know, the pharmacy gets paid one price, the health plan gets charged another price. And so the difference in those are spread. And so most most commercial plans, so anybody that's not self-insured or partially self-insured just has a, a cookie cutter plan from, from one of the big insured groups. And so whenever they go to pick up medication or, or at the pharmacy, you know, all they see is one side of it. They don't see, they don't ever see the other side of it. And as an employer group, you should be asking, you know, for that other side of it. And I can tell you what the answer will be. 99% of the time is going to be no. And if, and if that's the case, then you need to start looking at some other options because, they're not telling you no for your benefit. You know, there's some there's some hidden stuff going on there. So that's, you know, spread pricing at 30,000 feet is the difference in what the pharmacy is paid versus what the health plan is charged. Right. Yeah. And patient never sees that. No, no. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the guises that 
you know, mandatory mail order is a perfect example. You know, most people are incentivized to go to man to go to mail order, right? So if you go pick it up at, you know, Will's pharmacy, it's going to be $15 a month or $45, let's say for a 90 day supply. But if you go to mail order that, you know, the PBM owns, of course, um, if you go to mail order, it's $0. Well, we, we've seen it time and time again that the amount that the mail order pharmacy is paid is completely different than what the Will's pharmacy is paid. So you're, you're probably total payment for that claim is going to be $45. And it's all coming from the patient. But we've, we've seen up to, you know, they may charge the mail order pharmacy may charge the, the, the health plan or the PBM may charge the health plan $1,000 for that same prescription. You know, so we see that time and time and time again. It's, it's crazy. I mean, you see so many people, uh, you know, outside the pharmacy industry struggle with prescription drug prices. And, and there's a feeling of, you know, being a victim. Um, but it's, it's not clear exactly who the perpetrator actually is in most cases. You know, it's blamed on the pharmacy. It's blamed on, uh, you know, drug companies. But, you know, there's that, that whole middle piece, which is, again, where you touched on NCPA, where advocacy kind of comes into play. Um, but there's also kind of like this, this next step that I see pharmacy leaders take that I that I it's like the exciting, most exciting step where you go from that bench pharmacy to ownership and multi-store ownership and advocacy and precepting. And that next level seems to be like taking taking something that you're passionate about, identifying where you can make a difference, and then pursuing that next level goal that's going to change really potentially change the landscape across the board. And that's kind of what uh, the the step that you're in now with O-Read, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Oriad RX. So I joined Oriad RX. Um, gosh, it's been almost two years ago now. And it was just a group of, you know, people like me, independent um, pharmacy owners that were just sick and tired of the marketplace you know, and, and we think about the way independent pharmacy competes against like, you know, bigger chain pharmacies is we just do it better. Right. We we our customer service is top notch Our you know, there's a there's a way that you can compete against the big boys. Right. And so Oriad Rx is a PBM that we believe that can also compete against the big boys. And, you know, our our whole driver, the mission of our company is to restore, you know, is to use the pharmacy as a way to drive down costs for those, for those employers. Cause like I said before, you know, I, I listen to so many different employers complain about their drug spend and, and our hands are tied as pharmacists. But, you know, I think it, it's our, not only it should we, I, I think it's our responsibility to educate them on what's happening behind the scenes and then offering a different solution, you know? And so, um, that's kind of the, the basis of why Oriad started. Um, and man, we, we have some cool things that we're, that we're doing, uh, partnering with organizations such as CPSN and, you know, local independent pharmacies to, to really drive down the cost of prescriptions for employer groups with no, 
with honesty, integrity, and no, you know, cutting out all the, all the middle stuff, basically. You know, if you are a business owner, you're at the point where finally, you know, those low reimbursement issues, those spread pricing issues that have really kind of been contained in the pharmacy for a long time are spilling over. And, you know, when you start seeing those, those pain points pop up in, in other areas, you, you start to see that, that awareness. So, you know, if you are offering insurance, you do have options, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think this is the way that health insurance needs to go. Um, you know, there are cookie cutter plans that, so, you know, this is a deep dive too, and we could talk about this for another hour, but you know, <laughs> you, you can go self-insured, you can go partially self-insured, you can go level funded. Um, you can, you know, ask for ASO accounts, which is, uh, you know, you can still have your, your big insurer, but you can cut out different pieces like the pharmacy benefit. Obviously some people won't let you do that, but you know, some others will. Um, so there's a bunch of different options and, you know, worst case scenario, you just look at it and it, see if it's more expensive. But the cool thing about being self-insured or partially self-insured is the money is yours. You control how it is spent. And then you, you know, can take advantage of, them, of things like rebates. Re rebates is one of the biggest um, cost savings on the pharmacy side that if you're just in a cookie cutter, big insurance plan, you're not seeing a dime of any rebate. And so um, if, if you're looking at this, it's important to partner with a company that does not keep any of the rebate, you know, and, and make sure there's just like, I mean, PBMs have, gosh, they have probably 20 different ways they can make money. And so just because the PBM tells you that you're getting 100% of the rebate, make sure that there's not 100% of what, you know, make sure there's right. not an additional fee in there for, for accumulation and, and things like that. Um, so there's a lot of different layers to unpack. Um, but we've made some great relationships with brokers, um, not only locally, but on a national scale um, that will come give, you know, give you a give you a quote of being self-insured. And we've seen them self-insure businesses that only have five employees, you know. And so I think self-insurance sounds scary and it sounds like you're taking this big risk. But I mean, even even the big insurers have, um, you know, catastrophic uh, reinsurance. You know, and so just as long as you get some good advice from a good brokerage firm, then, you know, you can be put in a plan where you you control, you know, all of your all of your health dollars. You partner with companies that have aligned incentive, not misaligned incentives, and you can really control your drug spend and, and your medical spend. Um, so there, there's there's definitely other options out there. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, if, if insurance clearly is, is a big spend, um, it definitely seems like getting your patients into the pharmacy, getting, you know, any pharmacy services you can are ultimately going to save you money because the hospital spend is really where, man, that gets expensive quick. Um, so it, it seems insane that anybody would, you know, be, be burdened by uh, pharmacy coverage when it's such a, a benefit to really all aspects from patient care to, you know, the, the bottom line and, and the medical spend. Sure. And, and that's one of the things that we love to do at Oriad is we love to marry the two. 
like is so so we work with the TPA, which stands for third party administrator, and they're kind of on the health side or the the you know medical side or, or however you call it, not the pharmacy side, the other side. Um, but we want to work with them to look at you know what are the pain points. You know, is this group spending most of their money on diabetes? You know, are their diabetics having to go to the ER? And is that being caused by pharmacy? You know, can we offer a, an adherence program for, for their diabetics that will keep people out of the ER? You know, and so those, those two sides aren't married very often. No, no PBM that I know of besides, besides us is doing that right now, looking at the medical spend and seeing if, if pharmacy is, is causing it for some reason, you know, and so, and, and we don't initiate that at the PBM level. We work with the local pharmacy to implement these things and we pay them to do that. You know, not only are we paying fair for dispensing medications, we are also paying them for enhanced services to, you know, help, help their local employers, help their local school district, help their city, you know, and so, which is the way it should be, right? Sure. Sure. So, I mean, how do, how does this happen? Is this one of those things where, you know, you're a pharmacy owner, you're wearing a lot of different hats, you know, sometimes you, do you just say, oh man, I better just hire the IT company, get the one that's going to take care of anything because I have too many hats to wear. I mean, is that where business owners are finding themselves? They just go with the easy option, even if it's not the best option for their employees, for their bottom line. I think number one is you need to work with a honest broker. Your broker we've found is kind of the person that drives everything. And so if your broker's not talking to you about self-insurance or partial self-insurance, especially if you're a, a bear, if you have more than 50 employees, um, you should definitely be looking at this option. And if they haven't mentioned it to you, you know, it may be time to shop brokers. Um, because they're the ones that ultimately lead the charge and we've seen really good brokers. We, we have some good partners that we've, that we're doing business with and we've seen some really bad ones that are making, you know, $5 a claim, um, on employers and, and they have no idea that they're doing that, you know? So I'd say that's step one and then make sure that broker, um, you know, seeks out, uh, partners, um, that are going to, you know, be honest and fair as well. Um, and so, you know, there are several different PBM options out there. We're, we're just one of them. Um, but there, but there are other ones that, you know, do things a little different than we do, but there are some, some good ones out there. Um, but, uh, you know, making sure that he looks at multiple, um, PBMs and, and then, uh, just being involved in that process. I've, I've set in several pitches, uh, where brokers go pitch to a city or a school district and, and they bring me along to talk about the pharmacy side and, um, and you know, their solution for saving money in pharmacy is, well, we're going to get all your members on generic drugs. That's it. That's, that's the, that's the link of what they talk about pharmacy when they go, when they go pitch. Something. Right. And, and we all know that there is a lot more to it than that, you know? And so, um, but it's a beautiful thing when the broker, the local pharmacist, you know, us as a PBM or, or whoever, um, all get in a room together to talk. And then that way everything gets exposed, you know? And so we talk about everything at length and the ways that we see that could, uh, that we could help solve problems. 
What's what's interesting is that's really where PBMs were supposed to be to begin with, right? Yeah. Yeah, I hate even calling ourselves a PBM because we just <laughs> you know, we're just a transaction. We we help with the transaction and then we try to partner with local pharmacies to, you know, provide enhanced services that save the health plan money. Like that's yeah. if thirty thousand view of our of our company, that's what we're doing. Yeah. So um I imagine you guys have an interesting approach to DIR fees as well. Yeah. So we're not in the Medicare space currently. So we're, we're a fairly new company. And, um, so we've, we've only been around for three years now. Um, and we haven't ventured into the Medicare space. We wanted to start small, make sure we did things the right way because, you know, I I think we've seen it a lot that, you know, people jump in with, with both feet and both hands, full body, and then, and then try to swim. And, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. So we wanted to make sure that we got off the ground slow and built our company up, um, from the ground up at a, at a pace that we thought we could still provide superior customer service, do, you know, fulfill all of the promises that we make and, and form some really good partnerships along the way. Um, so we, we've been growing to that. We will be in the Medicare space eventually, but we haven't, we haven't made it there yet. So, you know, so often when we talk about independent pharmacy, independent pharmacists, whether those are owners or, you know, the, the pharmacist behind the bench every day in, in a community pharmacy, we talk about their impact on the community. And that's generally very patient centric, you know, very much focused on that relationship. But any community, you know, I was an installer for years for Pioneer RX and I traveled all over the country and it it seemed like every pharmacy I went to, that pharmacy owner was also involved with, you know, Little League, with Rotary Club, with, you know, all, all the different aspects of the community that they could be involved with along with other business owners, you know, and that seems like a really interesting way for pharmacists to help on that larger scale is to just make sure that the business owners around them, that they're sitting next to at those events, that they're uh, networking with, kind of understand that landscape. Absolutely, because employer groups have no idea how much they're being taken advantage of right now. You know, all they know is, you know, my, my premiums are going up because of, because of pharmacy. That's all they are told. And if they're at, if they ask to see more information, they get told, no, you know, that's proprietary yeah. that helps us in our negotiations, all the, all the lies that PBMs say, um, you know, and, and as a pharmacy owner, I mean, you got to realize that you have a gag clause with groups also, which, which in itself should, should raise red flags, Right. Like you have a PBM gag clause that says you can't talk to this employer group about their prescription spend, you know? Yeah. So it's important to just talk in general terms, you know, talk about spread pricing, never say, you know, well, you know, I, and I won't say their names now, but you know, X is, is doing this, you know, you guys need to think about that. Um, but you know, just talk about rebates and how they work and, you know, ask them what their PA approval rate is. You know, if, if the PBM's keeping their rebate, their PA approval rate's going to be through the roof. You know, 90% probably of PAs are being approved because that's another misaligned incentive, right? That's There's sure. reason for the PBM to approve them because they're making rebate dollars off of all those claims, plus spread pricing, plus an admin fee. 
you know, again, there's a million, a million different ways, but just like I said, I mean, I think that's the main takeaway, I guess, from this is that it, it is our duty, our responsibility to, um, you know, educate employers, you know, city commissioners, school board members, county commissioners about prescription spend and, and what's happening in the marketplace right now, because whether we like it or not, I mean, independent pharmacy has been under attack um, for the last decade. You know, there, there's a reason that so many independent pharmacies are, are closing. Um, you know, we uh, there's a reason why all independent pharmacies are trying to focus on everything and anything besides filling a prescription. You know, we, we are you know, basically being exterminated by, um, by PBMs right now. And so we have to start fighting back at some point, you know, and, um, I guess Oriad RX is, is my way of, of fighting back, you know, and, and trying to educate our, our local leaders about, you know, why, why there's a different way to do things. Awesome. So, if, uh, Will's pharmacy is taking, uh, the guys from, uh, uh, Darren's hardware, <laughs> and we're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna go. You know, barbecue this weekend, like we do every weekend or whatever. You know, what what should uh like what's an actionable item? Like what what should I tell them? Hey, you know, you know, you you've complained about you know your healthcare spend and and your budget for next year. You know, go talk to who? Yeah. So I, I think the first step where we've seen the most success is have your whoever helps you, wh- whoever your HR people are or whoever your broker is, whoever help, helps you get into your health insurance plan, have them, have them talk to us. Have them talk to Oriad Rx. We, we love – I mean our company is maybe even more of like an investigative uh, company than anything. Like we love to help – um, you know, unearth or expose some of the bad things that are going on. And, you know, sometimes the broker may not even know it's happening, you know, it is the bad thing. And so just have that employer, whoever that employer is, uh, whether it's Will's Pharmacy or Jared's Hardware, uh, have them talk to their broker and say, hey, I'd like to look at self-insurance and I'd like to, I'd like to have you talk to a, you know, a X PBM, you know, it doesn't have to be us. We, we would love to do it. Um, but if you have another local PBM that you trust, um, then, then have them look at it. Now I would, I'll preface that <laughs> in saying that you need to make sure that you know what that PBM is doing, you know, because there, it, it's just, it's sickening how many different ways there are to hide stuff from people. And, um, you know, so just make sure that you're partnering with the right person to do that. But I don't know, time and time again, when we have conversations with brokers, we're able to show them, you know, what's happening. And, and then, you know, that transitions into a talk about self-insurance and then, you know, here you go, you, you start seeing decreases in your premiums instead of increases. So I imagine like any other industry, if you have a, uh, you know, a broker, uh, who's been doing the same thing for so many years, it's like, no, this is the way we do it. It's the way we've always done it. And, and, you know, every now and then that complacency needs to be shaken up a little bit, look out and see, see what's changed, see what, uh, see what's out there. Absolutely. And that's a big red flag. So if you talk to your broker and they say, ah, that, that won't be a good deal. 
then that's a red flag for you. Like they should always be looking at that. Like, cause you're right. That's, that's one of the things they get paid no matter what happens, you know, they get, they get a fee from you no matter what's going on. And so this is more work for sure, but it's also going to be better for you in the long run. Um, and so making sure you have a broker that is really working for you and, and not the other way around and make sure they're not, and make sure they're not getting a fee, you know, ask them point blank. Are you getting a fee per prescription? Just ask that question. And if they are, I, I would look somewhere immediately, somewhere else immediately. And so we, like I said, we have really good relationships with national brokerage firms. And so, uh, you know, just give me a call, shoot me an email. I'd be happy to, happy to point you in the right direction. Awesome. Is there a, uh, a website or a phone number you want to drop out? Yeah. So, um, you can, um, so www.oriadrx.com is, is our website. And so you can contact us through there. Um, I, you can also personally email me. It's my, my email is, uh, Dared. It's D A R E D at oriadrx.com. And like I say, I, I would be happy to point you in the right direction. Awesome. Can you spell Oriad as well? Yeah, sure. It's O R E A D R X dot com. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks Just for clarifying that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some interesting variations out there. Yeah. I'm going to let you get back to changing the world and, uh, Hopefully, I'll uh, see you on here really soon. I- I'd love to have you on here in a couple of years, and you can tell me about how this has, uh, you know, helped so many thousands of uh, of people every day. So I, I would love the same thing, Will. <laughs> and and I appreciate what you guys are doing on on the podcast. I, I listen frequently, and and I love your content. I love the way the easy way it is to talk to you and everything. So I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. And hopefully I'll see you out at uh, maybe Connect here soon. Okay. Yeah. Sounds, sounds great, Will. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Scripts, presented by the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please support our channel by liking, subscribing, and clicking the notification bell so that you'll be notified anytime we post new content. To stay up to date with all of the latest independent pharmacy news and content, follow Pioneer RX on your preferred social media platform.